KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio in depth. I'm Matt Leon. We have talked a lot about the impact the COVID-19 pandemic is having on college athletics. And the impact at the college level, in many cases, will have an impact on the path athletes travel to get to the Olympics. Now, obviously, you talk college sports, much of the focus is on football and basketball. But for sports like fencing, field hockey, volleyball, college programs are crucial steps on the path to the Olympic Games. So what happens as many of these programs are ended at schools across the country as a result of the pandemic? Wanted to talk more about this, so reached out to Dr. Karen Weaver, adjunct assistant professor at the University of Pennsylvania, and had a very enlightening discussion. Give a listen. Before we drill down into the Olympic sports, uh, let's kind of talk overall. These have been a difficult several months on the college athletics landscape as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. We have seen programs cut, programs limited. We've seen personnel uh, let go. Kind of when you look at the big picture, has the damage the pandemic's wrought been about what you thought worse? Or have you been pleasantly surprised how some uh, athletic departments have weathered the storm? Well, Matt, I think one of the things that I'm looking at is sort of the collective place of where we are. And while I think we've, at the biggest level, we've survived at least September and some of October, but looking just last night, we've got 10 college football games this last week that have not been able to be played because of COVID outbreaks. At Utah, we've got a, a we've almost got an entire uh, roster below the number of 53 which is the number you have to have standing on the sidelines to play a game. So we're starting to see some of these cumulative effects. And, all, and, and Cal Berkeley, for example, is sidelined because their city's testing protocol and COVID gathering protocol are so much stricter than other parts of the West Coast. So it's been bumpy for sure. But I, I don't think that we, if we just focus on how many games were played or how many sports were cut, we're going to get the whole picture. There have been a lot of furloughs and layoffs. And every one of those, I'm sure, for each department feels like death by a thousand cuts. Because you don't hire people and employ them full time or create those positions unless they add value in some way to your organization. So if I'm a coach of an Olympic sport, even if my sport doesn't get cut, I might, I might lose an athletic communication specialist, or I might lose a digital media coordinator. I might lose uh, uh, somebody who is um, in the training room and works, does physical therapy. And each one of those uh, things are, are people who are part of my team as well. So when you're a coach and you're looking at recruiting, you want to be able to tell your recruits, I've got everything possible to make you successful. And when you lose people like this, you, you feel as a coach, how can I still retain that level of success, even if my sport remains? Talking about those Olympic programs we've seen cut, though, we have seen a lot of them cut throughout the country. And when we say Olympic sports, we're talking sports like fencing. We're talking field hockey. We're talking wrestling. You know, these are not the I mean, wrestling's big, really big in some markets. But overall, these are not the, the big revenue generators. How devastating are these cuts to these sport communities? Because these are, you know, kind of niche groups that really are funneled into these into these different sports. So 
How much does losing these programs hurt? Well, when you look at the total number of athletes who, who play in college, I would argue that almost 90% or more are, the, are fall into this group of non-revenue and mostly Olympic sports. Because, you know, football has a certain number and basketball has a certain number, but everything else is a non-revenue sport. So fundamentally, you're talking about the experience for all of those athletes from Division One to Division Three, uh, even to community colleges and NAIA. So there's a collective pipeline that exists for all of those sports that at the youth sports level is focused on getting into college or getting a college scholarship. And then from there, the Olympics have used colleges in many sports to find the best of the best talent to then represent the United States. So if you pull, start to pull college programs out of the middle of those two strings, you've got youth sports, then you've got the Olympics, who's going to fill in the gap? And I know we love to watch the Olympics every four years. We love to see Americans win in track and field and swimming, in, in fencing and badminton, all of these areas well, there's very few places to develop those that talent where the facilities are as good as they are in some of these colleges. I'll give you an example. I wrote about this. The University of Minnesota was trying to drop men's indoor and outdoor track and field two years after building a $19 million state-of-the-art track facility. And it just it doesn't make sense when you look at the investment that they've already made and yet, when you look at COVID-19 and all the impact of losing television revenue, the increased costs of testing and tracing and cardiac testing, they're trying to look for every million dollars they can find. But even in dropping sports like track and field, you only lose, you only gain maybe $2 million out of a $130 million budget. It doesn't get you there. So that's the thing that's not made sense to people who are impacted. They're like, wait a minute. We don't cost that much. So why are we taking the brunt here, you know? And you kind of mentioned this, the important role colleges play. Are there other organizations, groups that maybe play a role in the development in a lot of these sports that we could see try to fill in the vacuum? Or in some sport cases, is there no one currently available that could, could help you know, push along athletes on this track if college programs are cut? So the, the USOPC, the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee, is chartered to develop um, sport organizations uh, for the United States and then create and select teams that will represent the United States in the Olympic Games. So how, how do those groups go about doing it? Well, generally, they have competitions and they, they provide competitions where, let's say, it's the Olympic trials. And that's where uh, you could go and, and get your best 800-meter runner or your best high jumper. But they have little less to do with what goes into getting that athlete ready for that competition. Same thing in my sport, which was field hockey. You have uh, USA field hockey has developmental training camps. But there's nothing as comprehensive as the club high school and college system to really develop a wide range of athletes, not just to select few, because how it's not easy to identify the best of the best when they're eight, nine, 10 years old, you need more time for them to develop. So each sport has its own pipeline, but many times those pipelines aren't deep. 
some sports like swimming, for sure, are deep. USA basketball is deep. But other sports just don't have the resources because of the Olympic funding model to really take over for what colleges have provided, at least at this point. And how much – I would imagine this is a problem. I mean, there are obviously present – clear and present problems that this presents. But as far as the pool of athletes, you know, athletes that you're looking at for upcoming Olympic Games are already in – the pipeline know how to navigate it how concerned are you when we start to extrapolate this 10 15 years out where you know maybe kids that aren't born yet there are kids that are you know three four five now all of a sudden we were pulling away those programs and it i i would just think this could be something we look back on in a decade or so and just talk about the effect that the loss of a lot of these programs had on the 2030 Olympic team, 2032 Olympic team, stuff like that. Uh, because maybe it's, it's not that it's easy, but the, the path isn't as uh, clear. And maybe a lot of kids just uh, aren't interested anymore. I think, I think we have every right to be, to feel like it's going to be disrupted. I think we have every right to worry about how competitive we will be. You know, it's easy to find the top athletes, but who makes up Olympic teams are not just the people on those teams, but all the people who push to get those great players great. And that's that's how you really build a system that can call on on call people up if somebody gets injured or something happens and they're not able to to perform at that that particular Olympic Games at that time. You need to have that pipeline, and it's it like any other pipeline. If, if something cuts it in the middle and it's removed, you've got to rebuild it somehow. The question becomes, where does that money come from? And how does that work for a country that's as spread out as ours? If we were a country like Holland or Belgium, it wouldn't be that big of a deal. But this is a big country with lots of systems at play. And to take something like a college system out of it would be very disruptive, I would think. Something else I was curious about, focusing on the, the, the college programs with the Olympic sports. I would imagine this is a problem, and correct me if I'm wrong, that, that could tend to compound itself. Because let's say there's a, there's a conference that has seven schools that, uh, that do field hockey. And when it's all said and done at the end of the pandemic, three of those conferences have decided to pull the program. So now you have four. It's not really enough to have a conference. So everybody... They look for other schools or they decide to go their own way. So now all of a sudden, a field hockey team that maybe was traveling no further than 250 miles for any game, now all of a sudden gets into a conference with, you know, if they're a Pennsylvania team, with three teams from Georgia, two from Indiana. And all of a sudden now, to order to play the amount of games you have to play, you're traveling 1,000 miles instead of, like, I could just see a lot of those situations where, even after the pandemic, the results of the pandemic lead to a lot of these programs being in jeopardy because of the adjustments they had to make to try to make their way through the pandemic. Am I over? Am I overanalyzing this? No, you're not. You're absolutely right on, uh, and that's already been happening as schools try to right size, as schools move around from conference to conference and resettle themselves. Um, you know, you need to have at least eight sports, uh, eight schools sponsoring that sport for that conference to have an automatic qualifier into the NCAA tournament. So 
if our conference only has seven, then if I'm a college president, I'm looking at that saying, then why am I playing field hockey at all if my, my conference doesn't have a chance to get into the tournament and my team has to qualify as an at-large, which there are very few spots to get into the NCAA tournament. So it, it, it has oftentimes led to a domino effect that once you fall below that automatic qualification threshold in a conference, that the whole thing can splinter. And I've seen this in some D3. There's been a lot of re reorganization of D3 conferences in our region of the country. We look at, you know, the, the landmark and the uh, colonial states and uh, some of the other ones that have been created, uh, the centennial. They've all had evolutions over the last 15 years of who's been in their membership. And the key thing is, is the members want to have alignment so they have a schedule to play with schools, you know, so they all have to kind of agree, we're all going to keep these sports. So if there's a reason for schools to start dropping sports because they can't afford it, it does have an impact on the remaining members of the conference. And let's wrap up here trying, uh, are there any, I don't want to say positives because I don't want to act like, uh, but are there any rays of light or, or some reimagining? that this emergency could lead that, you know, we could look back in 10, 15 years and say, hey, you know what? That cost a lot of jobs and, and a lot of athletes opportunity, but we did learn, we did adjust, and now we've got X, Y, Z. I'm really hoping that we can go for the vast majority of our sports at every level back to a regional model. I think Division Three has it figured out. They realize that, that teams can't be missing classes and traveling all over the place. And so if we're playing schools within a couple hundred miles of our home base, I think that's realistic. But we've got some conferences, particularly as you move up the ladder, where for whatever reason, philosophical fit, or you're not in my same academic peer group, or you're spending more, it doesn't make sense to be sending athletes like we do with, in Temple's case, to Houston to play. It just, it, that, it, at this day and age, doesn't seem to make a lot of sense for the vast majority of sports. So is it possible to keep, you know, Temple playing Houston football and basketball? Probably. But do they need to play in the other, in that sport, traveling to all those other schools? There's lots of good competition around here. So I think it's time for us to really look at this idea of regionalization to try to bring some sanity back to the spending. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio In Depth. You can listen and subscribe to the podcast on the radio.com app or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.